Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT Podcast. I'm joined today by Robert Lutzkus from Lonzo Informatics. Robert, thanks uh, for joining me and welcome to the pod. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. Looking forward to, uh, to chatting with you a little bit. Uh, likewise. Um, so for those of you, uh, or so for those that don't know you, Rob, please, can you share us a little bit of an intro into yourself and your background? Sure. I've, uh, I've taken an interesting journey to be relevant to, to MES. Um, I was a microbiologist in the pharma space for a number of years and worked with a piece of software called Moda EM, which was a, a niche built software custom built for my company at the time. And then it ended up going commercial, being acquired by Lanza. And I joined Lanza shortly after in 2010. Um, as we tend to do in, in software, we uh, continued to look for places we could solve problems with, uh, with software and found an area from an MES and electronic logs perspective and expanded our software portfolio from lab to manufacturing. And um, so I oversee operations for a division within Lanza called Lanza Informatics. That purview is essentially all of the development, testing, uh, validation, implementation support and pre-sale support for the, the suite of products that we have. Wow. So you're, you're a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the calendar says anyway. Yeah, no, no, I hear you that front. I mean, from, from my perspective, I've, I've definitely heard a lot about Lonzo Informatics and Moda and the, uh, specifically the ES platform. And that's kind of the MES side that I've heard. So can you give us a, an overview, Rob, into to Moda and the, the products and platform as such? That'd be great. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so as I mentioned, our, our Moda EM platform um, is really positioned in the, the QC micro lab space. Um, we continue to expand the functionality there to try to really cover a lot of the, the areas of the lab and, and try to solve problems for people. Um, the ES story is interesting because we are part of Lonza, which is much more well known for their CDMO and their cell engine and some of their, their <coughs> testing materials um, that we sell out to, to, to customers than their software portfolio. But we had a, um, an opportunity to develop this MES software internally. And um, as we as we built it, we decided that we thought this would be something that would be useful in the market. Um, we built something we thought was a little bit different, a little bit unique, um, not quite in the low code, no code buzzword space, <laughs> but also not as complex and, and big as, as some of the other solutions. And so we, we've taken that, that Moda ES platform and we've started to deploy it commercially. We've deployed it at a number of sites internally um, to Lanza, and we continue to not only grow the product from a um, functionality perspective, but also really working closely with our customer base and understanding their needs. So we continue to build something that is, is different. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a really interesting story because, you know, as you know, Rob, my background is in recruitment of MES professionals and, and really, you know, I came about Lonza kind of almost by accident really in, in finding out about Moda, but the more I've learned, I kind of get really strong feedback from people working with the platform, people who are validating the platform and, and just a kind of really good sense that it's a, a good solution for, for a problem. Yeah, we um we have some passionate people that work with us and, and for us. We've, we've been very lucky. I've had a, a strong team of the same people for a long, long time. I mean, some of them predate me and I'm, I'm the new guy and I'm, I've hit 12 <laughs> years this month. So um, that is that is really help drive some of the, the passion around that. Um, there's a couple of us that essentially run the organization. As I mentioned, I take care of operations. My colleague, Jeremy Tanner, it does the commercial and my um, colleague, Sinead Kalman does all of the marketing strategy and business development. So between the three of us, um, 
Sinead's been with the organization 17 years, and Jeremy 15. So it's great that we have such a, a long-standing group of people that drive this. And where we're positioned within Lanza, um, we're not in the traditional Lanza side. We're in a division called bioscience, which is really, um, we sell solutions out to the market. We sell media and discovery equipment and endotoxin for testing, and then also the software to kind of okay. support all of that. So it's a little bit different. And, and we treat Lanza, the manufacturing arm, almost as our customer. Um, we service them. They have internal teams that, that manage it just like we would with our, our external customers. So we work very closely with them. And that puts us in a very unique spot um, because of the feedback cycle that it's a lot easier yeah. to, to reach out on teams when there's a problem and escalate <laughs> things and work very closely with them. So from that perspective, it's, um, it's, an, it's an interesting relationship. And, and um, Lanza's tend to have taken a, a best fit approach to MES. So um, there, you could you could have three or four solutions on this podcast that say they work very closely with Lanza, and it'd actually be true. Mm -hmm. um, and so, looking at the modalities where there's fit, so you have your high speed automation solution, you have some of your your larger scale biologic solutions, then you have what we do in Moda, which is we focus a lot on cell and gene therapy, um, flexibility, mobility, lightweight solution that is pretty configurable and puts a lot of the 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 configuration back on. The SMEs rather than a team of recipe authors. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a unique perspective, isn't it? And I guess, as you say, kind of gives you um, a close feeling to be close to your customer, essentially Lonza. So the feedback loop is uh, is pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's sometimes a little too quick, but it, it keeps us <laughs> it keeps us sharp. No, agreed. I understand that. So, so obviously, you've been in the industry a, a, a fair amount of time now, Rob. What are you seeing as kind of the changing face of MES from maybe when you kind of got got familiar with MES and and, and to kind of where it is now? Then, you know, how are things moving from your uh, vantage point? Yeah, I think that um, from from my perspective, when when I started, MES was this monolithic thing you needed teams they were big solutions they were big projects there was high cost high complexity and it solved a problem i mean it was needed but a lot of times the focus was more on um the automation rather than the digitalization of, of the solution and with solutions like moda and some of the other um younger players in the market or lesser players in the market um you see that shift towards helping to, to facilitate um, Pharma 4.0. And mm. with Pharma 4.0, moving everything to digitalize the data, um, I think this MES investment is really meant to, to drive uh, companies to, to do that. Without a digital component, there is no Pharma 4.0. Um, mm. So when, when companies are now looking at this, you almost see a mindset change to say, let's get something um, for our users that is able to help them do their job, make it easier, be more efficient, uh, less error prone, all of, all of those things by using the technology that's now more readily available. Cost of things like storage and, and, and infrastructure, and even moving things to the cloud is much cheaper than it was 15, 20 years ago when you needed all that physical hardware and physical mm. space to be able to, 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 to do anything. Yeah, I mean that that that's one of the things that's I, I I see accelerating digitalization, you know, within most industries, and and obviously pharma is our case in point. Have you found that um, some companies and some pharma companies are keen or faster moving to that digitalization, or do you find that companies are a little bit reluctant to kind of put their cloud and, and infrastructure in the cloud as such? Is there a reluctance, maybe? 
Yeah, and a lot of it comes down to the leadership of the company. And I hate to say the age of the company, but maybe the maturity of the company is a better way to put it. <laughs> um, it, it some of, the, some of the, the younger companies may get very experienced people with a long history and come in from larger organizations, and they tend to skew a little bit more towards that traditional infrastructure, particularly for things like MES. It's physical servers, on-site, physical um, or, or uh, mirror databases in different locations, hard backups, things like that. While others that tend to be a little bit more um, technology forward are, are okay with it. And I think as vendors, we look to try and find that happy place, trying to be able yeah. to offer a solution that, that allows a customer to, to dictate where their comfort level is and really um, deploy in a manner that, that fits for them. Um, I think as it's as a vendor, particularly understanding um, within the, the construct of Lanza as our customer, understanding that um, you're not going to be able to dictate all the components of, of what's there. Even from our, our ME, uh, sorry, our Moda EM solution, we've developed best practices through the years of really what should be done in a paperless environmental monitoring solution. And we still go to customers who go, nope, that's not right. <laughs> okay. we, we will do it your way, even if we think it's wrong. And so I think you're, you're going to see a similar thing with MES, where if the deployment needs to be lightweight and easy and cloud-based, you have to facilitate that. If it needs to be um, the, the, the bigger on-prem on, on hardware and uh, multiple servers and overclocked and all of these things, um, I think that's something you have to be able to facilitate as well. Yeah, and I, I think that, that's one of the... the... I guess the growing challenges, isn't it? There's a lot more noise in the space, isn't there? There's a lot more companies and, and we're seeing, you know, some of the larger companies picking up and buying smaller MES vendors and entering the space because digitalization, especially in pharma, pharma 4.0 is a, a huge market for that. So I guess there's a much more convoluted message that customers are hearing and, and manufacturers are hearing. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a great point, particularly with, looking at your mergers and acquisitions because mm. sometimes just because it makes sense on paper doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it's easy from a technology perspective, taking two different independently built MESs and smashing them together to be able to, to, to solve the problems <laughs> of the world. Um, I, it, sometimes it's just simply not that, that easy. Um, really understanding where, um, where a solution fits. And I think that's one of the things I've learned with the MES space is, is where um, consultants are so valuable. They're, they're meant to do what's best for their customer. Um, it's, it's obviously not a great look as a, as a consultant to come in and always be recommending the same solution because <laughs> you're then that guy. It's the Moda guy. It's the Wirum guy or Korber guy. It's the Rockwell mm. guy. That doesn't make sense. So as a consultant, you're supposed to take an independent look at, at what's the best fit, but as a consultant, then you also need to be aware of all of those all of those solutions out there. So it almost becomes a, a part-time job to just simply keep up with the technology, what's out there and what, what it's built for. Yeah, th I mean, that's a really interesting point. And, and it's something I was going to get to later, but I guess whilst we touched on it, Rob, then I'll, I'll kind of get your take on it then. So, you know, traditionally, you know, farmer MES folk, they, they either enter the space coming from the shop floor working up and, and kind of understanding manufacturing and then learn MES. And then you've got the other thread of people coming down from the software side and they kind of fall into MES. Where do you see the kind of perfect fit for somebody, you know, or perfect sorry, journey to somebody to become an MES? Is it from the manufacturing side or the IT side? We've had a lot more success with people from the manufacturing side. 
Um, mm. We, looking back at the, the Moda ES story, this was built with a couple of guys from the shop floor. And so the software was designed with the end user in mind where we would put it in front of some of our colleagues and, on the floor and say, can you figure out what you're supposed to do here? It should be that easy. <laughs> and if they couldn't, then we obviously overthought it and had to go back to the drawing yeah. board. And that, that, that feedback cycle or that, I'm sorry, that development cycle was, was, was arduous at times because it's mm. like, all right, this is straightforward. This is perfect. And the user would have no idea what's going on. Um, so we've had more success there, but what I've learned as we've, we've built out our team is from a team perspective, you need that mix because yeah. having, having, all the end users drive exactly what's there, you're likely going to have misses of what should be in quote unquote standard functionality from an MES yeah. perspective. So trying to, to take a more holistic approach and understand that um, if you're going to build up an individual, having that business knowledge of how to make the drug and what the process looks like from end to end, from when it comes in as API to when it goes out and then back into the patient, um, what does that look like? I think that that is super, super valuable to provide true input to, to a solution, but you can't do that um, alone. So having, having mentors or teammates or other members of an organization that have that traditional hardcore MES experience, I think really from a team perspective, gives you that mix where you're going to be successful. Yeah, no, and I, and I think I would agree with that from, from my outside. I, I guess the other challenge we face, and this is from an MES recruitment perspective, is that you know, farmer MES folk are in hell of a high demand, but but there's not enough to go around. So the challenge we're always faced with is how we can put essentially a square peg in a round hole. And and if we're agreeing that, you know, the mix is utopia of, of background, but, you know, ideally the manufacturing experience. Do, do you think there's um it's a short ramp up time, Rob, in your opinion, for somebody to go from a, who understands MES, but doesn't understand pharma? has the manufacturing background is it a shorter ramp up time for for them to understand the industry or do you think that's something that really takes you know a fair amount of time years it may be yeah so um i think there's two 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 layers to that i think if they had that experience it's um it's a very quick ramp to understand the high level how to make drug mm. i mean um i i think there's numerous mes solutions that in their big customer demos, they make cookies or bake cakes or something, because it is very equivalent to a traditional recipe. Recipe. Yeah. So when when you look at having them understand the basics of that, great. That is a very short ramp, in my opinion. Mm. Um, however, that the, all those corner cases, when it doesn't go right, or if it's um, some of this um, advanced therapy manufacturing that is like nothing else, it's one batch, it's small, it's very different, that that layer down or in your in your traditional manufacturing, all of the corner cases or how to an, handle things like interventions or when it doesn't go right or or that the deep knowledge that takes years to, to build up. And I think that's where um, if you are in a more um, uh, manufacturing focused role, you have to really spend time almost on the floor or in the in the um, controlled space to, to watch and understand what's going on. and um uh giving giving them the ability to do that is something that is easier said than done yeah no i and i understand what you're saying there rob and i think from my side you know i'm i'm really 
passionate about increasing people joining to the MES space. You know, from my side, it's built a great career and that's just recruiting people in that. So, you know, I see a lot of people developing their careers. So I try and, you know, motivate people to kind of join this space. But I guess one of the biggest challenges is getting the millennials, the, the latest generation into working on a shop floor, understanding manufacturing, understanding the nuances and developments there. It's one of the hardest parts I get is actually getting that granular shop floor experience. Yeah, and and I think um, the the younger generation of of people that we're 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 bringing into industry now, I think they need to be enticed in a way that maybe wasn't always there. Um, the technology is everywhere. I have I have two younger kids now, and they're in school, and uh, I don't think they know cursive. I don't think they <laughs> do anything that's not on a Chromebook. Um, yeah. So understanding that you're asking them to take an entirely digital world and take huge steps back to everything being on paper and everything being manual and everything being error prone. It just, it, it doesn't seem enticing. Mm. Um, and I think that as leaders, we have to go in and, and, and sell them on the vision. Like, yes, help develop what we need to do. You bring a unique opinion because um, I'm an old guy. So I don't necessarily think the same way you do. So bring your ideas, be vocal, take ownership of things. And I think that's the thing that, that as leaders, we really need to make sure that we communicate downward and, and, and help them understand that they can have a real impact. And um, I, I think that's one of the interesting things larger companies do on occasion is, is once a year, they, they bring out a patient and let you know that you're not just filling a vial you're not just filling out paperwork or taking a, a sample or running a batch you're saving someone's life and so i think that that adjustment or that that uh, readjustment on a regular basis to help them understand the impact of what they're doing and then more importantly where they can improve and help impact positively how a, a, an operation works is is more of a selling point to to that generation yeah, I think dollars for donuts, that 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 definitely is something, is it? The morality of what you're doing, because that younger generation sustainability, you know, moral causes, you know, actually mm -hmm. seeing the end result of your efforts and why you're trying to speed up digitalization or whatever it might be. You know, this is the, the real reason why it's not just numbers on the screen. It's not shareholder value. It's, you know, patient safety. Right. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And then we have to continue to, to, to help them see that. And I think we need to be able to look at it from their lens as well, um, or you get that disconnect in, in, in your workforce. No, I agreed there. Agreed there, Rob. So just want to kind of check back on, on your thoughts on, on this and kind of, I guess, a, a different way of putting this question. And because I've asked it before is, you know, normally I ask, what's the, the kind of number one challenge you see with a, a pharma company deploying an MES? But let me rephrase it slightly differently. You know, how could a pharma manufacturer actively fail, uh, set up to fail in their MES deployment? What steps could they do to actively fail? So just a just a flip on the question, Rob. So I didn't want to, it's not a tripwire, but it's just a yeah. flip on the question. So. Yeah, I mean, um, not preparing. I mean, understanding what the project is. And, and again, depending on the solution, the project's gonna be different. There are, there are vendors out there where an 18 month deployment timeline for a single line is entirely realistic. There's others that um, um, can claim to do it in six weeks and they're mm. completely different solutions, but that endpoint is completely different as well. I think that understanding the balance of, of what you're getting in a project. So sitting down and making sure that the people that are, that are in charge of, of purchasing the solution 
now have involved people that are in charge of implementing the solution at the site. And <laughs> a lot of times, yeah, um, it, it, it seems a simple concept, but so often it's like, all right, you're going to put this solution in, what is it? Um, so a lot of the kickoffs are, are generally around, hey, we're going to demo the solution so you at least know what you're doing and let's do a let's do our, our, our as-is-to-be workflow and really understand what the, the scope is. And, and so setting expectations on both sides. What does the customer expect to do? What do they what do they expect their timeline to be? Let them make their Christmas list of all the mm. things that they want. And then you come back as a vendor, or we'll come back as a vendor and say, all right, this is based in reality under these conditions. If these aren't the conditions, then let's reset somewhere in the middle. And then that way, you're able to implement a solution that you're, you're starting to solve problems, starting to realize that ROI, starting to realize the benefits of the solution without necessarily trying to solve every problem in the world in phase one. <laughs> and it's, it's so, so failure to plan will, 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 will be the number one um, failure point in my opinion. Yeah, no, okay. I, I like that. Um, and so then the other kind of that, that might lead on nicely then Rob is kind of, from your experience and from what you've done and such, what are the common, you know, issues when you're deploying an MES across multiple sites and those sites are in different geographies, different, you know, um, continents and stuff. I don't know, off screen, we spoke about your time in, you know, Europe, US and, and obviously uh, Singapore, but, you know, what's the biggest challenge when deploying an MES over kind of multiple locations? Yeah. Setting the expectation around what the word harmonization means. Because um, when when you when you look at what sites want to do, um, especially if we're doing the same thing, putting putting air quotes <laughs> up, doing the same thing, um, does that mean you're going to switch out all of the equipment? Does that mean you're going to you're going to there's no differences in in manufacturing regulations, all of those components? So understanding that that you need local representation, but you need some global oversight, and you draw the line very early from that expectation set, uh, setting perspective to say. All right, this is what we mean by harmonization. We want some, some terms that, mm. that we're going to align on. We're going to build the processes in, in similar manners using similar terminologies. And that way, there's some reusability across multiple different solutions or multiple different modalities. Um, <laughs> so I ensuring that, that that's all um, oversight, but also giving the local team the ability to, to build the solution in a way that's going to solve their problems and, and get their drug out the door. Okay, so that kind of core overview with those those core competencies on the actual manufacturing facility, that yep. kind of cohesion across that. Agreed. Uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, and, and I guess obviously as we we move further towards the kind of quicker deployments and those um, monolithic eighteen month two year deployments kind of become a thing of the past. But how, how do manufacturers now future proof their 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 MES implementation or their digitalization of their farmer operations. So what, what's the key to future proofing, Rob? I think taking the, the customer vendor relationship as a partnership. Um, I think as a vendor, you're, you have an accountability to keep them abreast of what's, what's occurring elsewhere. Because obviously they're going to be laser focused on their deployment and their solution and their technology. So as as you release things like patches or hot fixes, um, some of that should involve an education of this is what we're doing in the software, but this is also from a technology landscape what we're seeing other people doing. Um, you're now 17 OS versions behind, and here's the <laughs> things that you're not able to do because of that. But that being said. Um, 
the customers should provide that feedback as well to understand what they're doing. I mean, every organization now seems to have a digital initiative or the pharma or <laughs> paperless or whatever, whatever buzz IR, AR, VR. I mean, everything across the board. And um, so how they prioritize that from an internal perspective should also be made aware to the, to the vendor. That way, if they're not looking at the radar the same way, they can start preparing for it. So if, if, we have a manufacturing line where everybody's going to be in um, smart glasses, then the technology should be able to be developed to support that. You shouldn't want to implement that and then your, your software not be able to, to be deployed using the, maximizing that technology. So um, we try to find, at least from, from our perspective, who that champion is from a technical perspective and have regular whether it be Zoom meetings or in person or coffee or a happy hour or dinner or something like that, just mm. to say, hey, what's new? Yeah. What's going on? And um, and again, that's a little bit easier with with our customer Alonza because it's really <laughs> just for some walking around the corner or stopping into the site and, and and having a chat. But from our customer perspective, our external customer protect perspective as well, um, getting someone out of the project team and yeah. someone who, uh, who who helps set the direction of the organization or the or the software coming in and just saying, hey, let's let's make sure we have a relationship here and. Um, uh, and, and continue that relationship to understand how we can mutually benefit each other long-term. Yeah, and I guess it goes back to the simplest things then, communication, isn't it? Having that honest, open, transparent relationship and um, going back to that old-fashioned thing of just talking face-to-face or, you know, as face-to-face as you can be with somebody. Yeah, I mean, and it takes effort. I mean, it takes time. Uh, even setting up 15 minutes to, to have a chat feels like anymore you got to put in the calendar. Um, particularly since so many more people are working entirely virtually, um, that, that chat just sometimes doesn't happen. You have to, you have to make time for it. So, um, putting time aside to focus on that, um, becomes just as much as, as, as a a part of your responsibility as anything else. Yeah. I think from my side, it's the natural evolution of leadership, isn't it? You know, when you're managing someone day to day and, you know, you're proverbially sitting next to them, it it can be fairly straightforward, but developing your leadership skills, your communication skills, I think it's honed in by working remotely and having a distributed team. Yeah. And um, luckily we were working virtually before it was cool. So we always had to actively (laughs) do that. And um, I've, I've learned a lot as my team has, has grown and um, as we did have that shift for some of our core technologies going from on-site to off-site to to purely virtual and that effort. And um, I don't I don't think any good leader looks in the mirror and says they've done everything they can perfectly. But um, I certainly try to take feedback from my team um, on on things that they need. Uh, and that's where I think as as leaders, it's important to understand that. Um, you can be good at a lot of things, but mind reading generally isn't one of them. So um, Lonza has a lot of great initiatives to develop employees and develop teams and develop leaders to an extent. So again, being being a part of Lonza is, is, is very good from that perspective because you're able to utilize those resources and I'm able to turn around and treat our organization like the um, like the, the small startup software we think we are sometimes, even though we really aren't anymore. Yeah, no, and I guess testament of that is you mentioned at the start of the conversation, your, your colleagues that have been at the business for, you know, years ahead of you and, and you've been there 12 years. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it, if that leadership is is a culture from the top down? Yeah, and we, we've, we've been really lucky because even the leaders above us, 
um, have been consistent um, within within Lons and owe a lot of a lot of our leadership ability to, to some of the early development they did and the trust they gave us and the latitude they they gave us to really kind of define our business, find out where we were good, find out where we weren't, and 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 fix it. Um, so it's it's always been a, a nice mix of pressure to perform, pressure to be better, but also that supportive structure that you you always want from managers. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that from. So so kind of wrapping up the conversation, Rob, I, I guess I'm going to ask you to, to kind of dust off the crystal ball, as it were. But what, what, what do you see as the kind of future for Pharma 4.0, future of MES? You know, what are you what are you seeing in the kind of the long view, really, for, for this exciting space? Yeah, I think um, I, I think speed and agility are going to rule the day going forward. Speed I mean, and obviously. Agility. Yeah, I think there's there's always going to be focus on new technologies. We've um, pick a technology and there's someone spending time in it, whether it's AR <laughs> or VR or Bluetooth or IoT or um, cloud or all of those things are going to be relevant in some way, shape or form. But yeah. I think the, the, the real thing people look for is changing the perception of an MES project from this high cost, long timeline, giant solution um, to something that solves a problem quickly and is flexible, whatever the manufacturing type, being flexible to, to a solution and then not having that huge amount of overhead to, to have dozens of people to not only implement, but also recipe author, then validate, then deploy, then maintain. I think that's going to be where the real shift in the industry occurs to, to, to make the entire thing lighter and easier. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a fair, fairly good prediction there. I like that, Rob. But um, look, we're, we're out of time today. But I, I, as I say, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy traveling the world and clocking up the air miles. So thanks a million for joining us, Rob, and um, appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. This was fun and um, looking forward to, to having a beer in person one day. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. Right. Cheers.